Hello and welcome to the Wow at Work podcast. Today I'm talking to Elena Kerrigan, who is the MD of a company called Think Productive. They're a UK and a global company that help organizations, I suppose, reimagine the way they could work with productivity tools. Think Productive talk about being able to reclaim 150 minutes a day from distraction, which is what many of us are caught up in in the world of work, 60 minutes a week from unproductive meetings, 90 minutes a day by getting emails under control, and Think Productive have worked with many, many famous companies around the world, Aston Martin, American Express, Boots, GSK, VW, which are Volkswagen and Audi, uh, with courses like How to Be a Productivity Ninja. So we're going to touch a little bit on that with Elena today, but we're mostly going to talk about how Think Productive have entered the world of the four-day week. Elena, you're very, very welcome. Hi. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. An absolute pleasure. So I've talked a little bit there about Think Productive, just a small little intro, but tell us a little bit more about your organization and what you guys do. Yeah. So you mentioned Productivity Ninja. We are the people behind Productivity Ninja. Quite a lot of people have heard of the book. It's officially How to Be a Productivity Ninja, and it's got a bit of a cult following. It's a business bestseller. And it basically defines what we do in terms of we're a company based around a culture that's a little bit different, playful, kind, around being human, not superhero, and walking our talk. And yeah, as you said, we go into organisations and we help them and their people transform their relationship with work, you know, to work smarter, not harder, and um, just have a healthier relationship with work. We do more than productivity, but that's what we're, we're known for. That's brilliant. And how do you go about that? Is it that you provide workshops to organisations or what way does that work? Yeah, mostly it's workshops. We go and do workshops and programmes. So, yeah. Brilliant. I've got the Productivity Ninja book. I ah, of course it, you uh, have. I yeah. bought it during lockdown as well. So it's brilliant. Did you? And a great read. Yes, I did. Yeah. It was one of my lockdown reads. I think I saw Graeme on a podcast, which is the founder of your organisation, Graeme Alcott. So did you use the lockdown to get productive? You would think... Elena, you would think, <laughs> but let's not go down that road, okay? Yeah. <laughs> let's not go down that road. I love the fact that your organization are doing something. And you, you talked about talking the talk or walking the talk and actually living by what you talk about, because you talk about how we could be more productive. Do you have any figures on what's missing in the workplace? Like what's causing us to be so unproductive? Well, I think distraction is a big one. There's distraction coming from our technology, but also ourselves. We've got never-ending to-do lists and it can get overwhelming and difficult to know where to begin. So I think having a sense of clarity and control over your actual workload and an understanding that the work will never end. So just take a step back every week and, and take a look at the bigger picture and have a think about where the, your priority should lie and where the high impact work is in your work. I think a lot of people get dragged into checking their emails constantly and firefighting. And, 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 you know, the first thing they do when they log in in the morning is check their emails or even first thing they do when they wake up on their phone. I don't have email on my phone, by the way. Uh, you know, so if, if you're, if the first thing you do in the morning is check your emails, then you're putting other people's priorities before your own or what you should be focusing on. So I think it's being clear around where you're spending your time and knowing, yeah, how to manage and protect your attention. I always see email as a quite a reactionary tool, isn't it? The idea that you must reply to this straight away. It's almost like it's an immediacy that was never with us in work before. Yeah. And I'm human. I will see an email and want to resp respond straight away. But actually by doing that, I'm also sending the message that it's good to respond straight away. And that's not the case. <laughs> 
you know, obviously there are urgent things. And if a client gets in touch, I will respond promptly. But yeah, it's being more mindful of how we respond and, and when we choose to process those emails rather than just dipping in and out all day long. And I've thought about the amount of emails that we get now. When I first started in, in, in management, I remember email had pretty much just come in. Mm. It was the late 90s. Yeah, I remember whatever, getting yeah. my first Yahoo account and That's not it. really and you, knowing what it was. <laughs> yeah, but you get five or six emails possibly a week sometimes. Or yeah. very, you'd be very little because people communicated in different ways back then and hadn't got fully used to the emails. And I always remember that like on Friday evening, there might be two emails in your inbox that you hadn't replied to at the most. And pretty much you probably had them sorted or you might send an email off on a Thursday or a Friday. But there'd be no panic over the weekend because we no access to it because it was a company email. So we would no access to it in any other form. So when you came in on Monday, there wasn't a deluge of emails waiting for you on your desk, which there seems to be now, even if you take three or four days off. I've heard stats that people check their emails up to 74 times a day. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it is a bit like that. And you get the email you deserve. If you respond all the time and send emails thoughtlessly, you'll get the same back. And you're probably CCing in too many people. So now you're, you're asking for it when, when you got all of that coming back. Yeah, as well. exactly. Yeah. And then I was looking at some stats around multitasking as well, roughly 2% of the population is able to multitask. Yeah. I don't know what you think about that, but we, we believe that multitasking is a myth and I do have a little exercise if we've got time later that we can do to kind of prove that oh I like that idea I like that idea because when I do workshops and facilitation I do ask hands up who can multitask and a series of hands go up and I tell them that it's two percent of the population that can do it and they go really but it's true because I think when we talk about like you know all the interruptions disruptions that we get in work, the notifications that come in through various different forms of communication. It's the equivalent to a 10-point IQ drop, which is huge when we're being interrupted at work consistently. I knew you would have all the stats at your fingertips, Stephen. <laughs> You're much better at that than I am. But yeah, that's right. Let us definitely come back to the multitasking exercise at the very end. But before we get to that, I'd like to, to, to delve into to where I suppose the four-day working week now is becoming quite a buzzword and, it, and, and, in, and, and in a good way. This is great. This is the future of the way work should be. But think productive. You entered this world a good few years ago. We are. I, I'm truly excited that it's becoming a mainstream idea and less of a fringe movement. But yeah, we introduced it back in 2011, over 10 and a half years ago now. So long, long time ago, there were probably one or two other companies in the world doing it. And uh, Graham Alcott, the founder of Think Productive, and he's the author of How to Be a Productive Ninja and other great books. Around that time, he was really into doing loads of extreme productivity experiments on himself. <laughs> and um, he'd do stuff like work five to nine for a month instead of nine to five, and then write about it, you know, write about what, what he discovered and um, not checking emails for a month and just loads of very extreme stuff, not to encourage other people to do extreme stuff like that, but to get them to rethink their own productivity. But anyway, one idea that came up was the four-day week. And he wondered what it would be like if our team had an extra day of play, like what the impact would be. And that there were, there were studies around showing like diminishing returns on longer working hours and I think most of those studies, I think, were based around factory workers, and they did find that anything above 50 hours, you'd start to see diminishing returns of output. 
but for knowledge work, it's quite hard to get the metrics around it, but it's thought that diminishing returns start to come in much, much earlier around, you know, the 30 hour mark even. And your brain is tires and gets used more than any other muscle or organ in your body or something. And so it needs breaks to function optimally. So yeah, we were really interested in seeing what that would look like. So we did a trial for a month. And uh, before we started the trial on the four day week, we did a daily surveys for a month for each of us to get a baseline on our productivity and our stress levels, uh, how in control of our workloads we felt, how tired we felt on a Monday morning, you know, stuff like that. So we did those every day and at the beginning and end of each week for a month. And then we did the same on a four day week. And yeah, basically no surprises that (laughs) everyone was happier, less stressed, more productive. So twist my rubber arm. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. So just fill me in on how Think Productive actually do the four day week, because I know some companies do it in different formats in different ways. What, What way does it work for you guys? Yeah, so we didn't really have any frame of reference at that time. And I would encourage all companies to do this, actually. You know your business better than anyone, so you can design it however you want. And that's what we did. We were a very small team operationally, so we didn't want our clients to be affected in any way. Uh, We actually didn't tell anyone (laughs) for many years because we didn't want them to think they weren't being looked after or be afraid that they weren't going to be looked after. So, yeah, we basically decided to work the same amount of hours as someone on a five-day week, but in a four in four days. Uh, so we had slightly longer days and then one Friday in four that we worked so that there would always be someone covering Fridays, providing client cover and inquiries cover and stuff like that. And it's actually been really great for business continuity because anyone can step into that inquiries logistics role i do it when i work my one friday a month it's one friday a month now we've changed it so i step into that role and i manage the workshop logistics i handle inquiries and it means that you've got all these different people kind of feeding back on the process making it simpler streamlining you know so it's been great in that respect and what else yeah so when we first started out we actually had a team member who was quite young and he when we did the trial, he did struggle with the slightly longer days. He struggled to focus and he preferred regular five-day week. So we thought, well, let's let's offer both. And whoever wants to do a five-day week does that. Whoever does a four-day week does that. So for many years, we had this kind of hybrid model. And we had another team member come on board who also wanted to work five days. She wanted to match her partner's working hours. So it suited her. But actually, when it when we ended up with everyone being on a four-day week, we reviewed our model and together just decided, let's just go with, let's go all in. It's four days, the same hours as someone on a five-day week. So nine to 5.30 we do with an hour's lunch, paid lunch, and then one Friday a month. We voted to keep that one Friday a month because it's kind of like a secret overflow day. So if you've been ill during the week, uh, during the month, or you have a big deadline coming up or whatever, you know you've got that extra Friday. We've got no meetings. No one else was about, yes, you might have to cover a bit of logistics and inquiries, but it tends to be quite quiet on a Friday. But you've got that extra kind of secret day to just kind of heads down into some deep work. So 
everyone actually voted to keep that Friday going and it helps the business keep, it keeps us sharp and all of that stuff. So that's how we do it now. And we're all on the four day week. And when we recruit now, it's all for, we recruit for a four day weekers and that's it. That must be a fantastic surprise for some people at the interview process that don't realize that they've just entered a company that have got the benefits of a four day week in place already. We don't hide it when we put the job ad out, it's there. And I think it, it makes it much, much easier to recruit and retain staff because people really care about flexibility, autonomy, and the four-day week Yeah, brings all of those things. And what benefits did you see personally from doing the four-day week? Because you've worked in the corporate world before in the five-day heavy workload workspace. I just would never go back to five days now. <laughs> There's no way I've been totally spoiled. So we do have the one Friday a month that we still work, and that keeps us real. That keeps us grounded and grateful for the rest of the month that we've got three-day weekends. But it's been transformational. It just means I've personally, I've got a whole day to myself. You know, when we introduced this, I, I didn't have a child. Now I have a daughter and she's at school on a Friday when I'm off. So I have a whole day to myself to do life admin, bit of exercise. I'm in a couple of improv troops, so I'll do a bit of improv probably. Yeah, I just have a whole day to get stuff sorted or potter around a bit and then because there wasn't enough of that by the way and then I have the whole weekend as a proper weekend it's just amazing and then when so you have all the obvious kind of well-being benefits but then you have there's this couple of virtuous circles really you've got the well-being benefits which mean that when you come into work on a Monday you've got that post-holiday feeling of looking at stuff from a sense of perspective rather than a sense of stress and overwhelm. You've had that break. You've been able to fully switch off because everyone knows what it's like to have a bank holiday or in the US, US, the public holiday, right? And it it feels infinitely longer to have three days off than two, doesn't it? You just have more time to really forget about work. So you come in on a Monday feeling really refreshed, energised, and it depends what you've been up to, but you know, sometimes we do come in tired, but on the whole, you're just more open to opportunities. You make better decisions, fewer mistakes, that kind of thing. So you have that post-holiday feeling and that kind of takes you through the week, knowing that it's a short week as well. And then on the productivity side, you've got, you know, that feeling before you go on holiday, when you know you've you've only got four days left before you fly, and it gives you that natural focus to really hone in on okay, what do I really need to get done? What can I skip? What can wait? Who do I need to speak to? And that naturally it is a natural challenge of the four day week, which is there all the time. And yeah, I would say that's the biggest revelation of it all is this impact thinking. Like it, it just forces you to think in terms of impact and to. It gives people permission to ask, am I really needed at this meeting? Can you help me prioritize my projects? I need to go offline for two hours. Is that okay with everyone? So it just gives everyone permission to ask those kind of questions. And that is brilliant for any business, by the way, even if you're not on a four-day week. And of course, we're a productivity and well-being training company. We have that culture and mindset already, but this fully opens the door to that. It says, you know, come in, take a seat. I'm really going to look at when is my attention at its peak during the day. And that's when I'm going to do my complex thinking work. When am I most tired? It's just all of those brilliant questions. Because you're focusing on 
the high value, high impact work more. It's more satisfying. It's more rewarding. You just feel more engaged in your work. So that feeds into well-being and your engagement. It just goes round and round. It's just amazing. Oh, I love that. Because even the whole idea of being, because um, one of the things that's not happening in work these days is there's not much work getting done, specifically in the office, when I think of open plan offices and how difficult it is with all the distractions and all the interruptions that you have throughout the day. Like when I think about a normal day's work for so many people is you come in, you log on to whatever device. If you're working within an office space, you log on to your device or even at home. Yeah, you might even check some social media before you check your email. Then you start to check email. And then because the way we see email a lot of the time is email is reactionary. So you begin to react to what you think is most important and try and send that off. And then you might end up having conversations with people about how the weekend went, how everything else went. And before you know it, you've got so many interruptions that you're not really getting any full focused work done. And I, I always talk about like the Friday afternoon, always in any workspace for the last 50 years, there's not much work done after lunchtime. No? Yeah, you can, if we can actually get rid of all of those gaps that, that just those, that unnecessary, you know, you know, spending time looking at email and reacting to stuff or going to meetings that don't make sense, like you were talking about, cut all that out. And suddenly we find we've got more time at home to do things we love and to do things we enjoy. And I, and I, don't get me wrong. It's not about like intensively working where you don't give yourself a break or a lunch break or anything. We take breaks. We take, I take an hour's lunch break every day and multiple tea breaks throughout the day. And that's what I encourage from the team as well, because, because your brain needs breaks and your body your body needs breaks. Like you'd start to need to stretch and move around. And uh, so, you know, I have heard of people trialing the four day week and being really draconian around how people spend their time. Of, All right, you're not allowed on social media and you're not allowed breaks or whatever. And, and take away the water cooler moments and all of that. And actually just relax, let trust people. You've recruited some good people, just trust them to get on with the job, treat them like adults and, just do your job as a manager, put in the boundaries and set the expectations and, um, you know, track progress on projects, all of that stuff, but support your people to look after themselves, look after their brains, focus on what matters. And it's better for everyone. I always think about, yeah, here's some science. You think it would be some science or whatever, but the body works in a thing called ultradian rhythms. I don't know if you've heard about this before, 90 minute cycles to 120 minute cycles. And after that 90 minutes or so, you get sluggish because of a couple of things. One, that the lymphatic system, the waste system inside your blood vessels is trying to get rid of all that waste. So that's why you feel tired. And then your brain is trying to file away all the information that you just took in in the last 90 minutes. And if you don't allow those processes to happen, you feel you can't concentrate, you feel tired, you feel overwhelmed. And most of the time we're fed to believe or we're led to believe that we need to just work through this and you can't. And that's where we become unproductive. Yeah. And oh, it really annoys me when I, when you politicians, you know, they'd have you believe that most people want to sit around and watch Netflix all day. They might want to do that the first week they ever get, you know, working from home, but that is not satisfying to, or rewarding for anyone. People want to do a good job. Like most people want to do a good job and feel like they're doing a good job. And actually, a lot of people stress about fitting their five already busy days into four. You know, that's a natural fear that people have around the four-day week. But there there are ways to support your people in the transition and to give them the tools and the confidence to manage their attention and their emails and their meetings and their workflow and just think about things differently, change their mindset and give them the 
tools to create space for what matters. This comes from leadership too. As we can well. help with that, by the way. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> think of think productive if you want some help yeah. with this. Yeah, we'll talk more that's, about and this that's good the- for any company. All companies. It's good for any business. You don't want your people to feel overwhelmed and unsatisfied with not getting stuff done because it doesn't feel satisfying when you're just running around chasing a tail. I suppose how many time have we been in organizations and you've seen a manifesto behind a reception area with the values of the organization saying that we do all of these wonderful things. But when it's when you look beyond the curtain and you can see that the leaders in the organization are working long hours, sending emails out on a Saturday evening, expecting a reply from text messages on a Sunday, all this kind of stuff is sending a signal to everybody else on the team that, yeah, this is what we actually do. And this is, and I know you guys do the opposite. For some reason, when you were talking there, it reminded me of an interview I'd heard, or it was a piece of news I'd heard from David, about David Cameron, who was the, uh, the prime minister a number of years ago. And David Cameron was in negotiations on some sort of international level, which I can't remember exactly who, but he talked about the fact that they were all night in negotiations. And he worked through the night on these negotiations in a conference room with these people at a meeting, but refused to go to the toilet, even though he wanted to go for for a toilet break. And he said, what it was doing, it was helping me focus. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. It's just your body telling you, you need to go to the bathroom. You should have gone to the bathroom. How can you focus when your body is telling you, giving you these signals, go, you can just go to the lavatory, sort that out and then come back. So no, but that's where I'm seeing with leadership. So when we hear that from leadership, from the leader of the UK at the time was saying that this is what we do. You know, this is so often so many leaders within organizations, they can talk the talk, but they certainly don't walk it at all. And I know you guys do that really well. Yeah, you've touched on something there. You mentioned, you know, what are the pitfalls? With the freedom of the four-day week comes responsibility, right? There's responsibility on both sides. So the managers are responsible for supporting their overloaded team members, like helping them find a way to transition, but also to create that trusting environment and, you know, to allow people to, there's that, some people call it the martini, martini culture, anytime, any place, anywhere. Do you remember the advert? I do. Yeah. <laughs> so like work wherever you want, however you want, just make sure the needs of the business are met and that you're communicating clearly with your colleagues, you're respecting them and it's not impacting them if you're offline for a bit, that kind of thing. But also you're building trust through you setting the example, um, making it safe for people to take that Friday off or whichever day they choose to take off, making it safe for them to do that without checking their emails, without trying to get some work in on the weekend or whatever. The leaders need to be role modeling the four-day week as well. They need to send the message that it's important that you value it. If I start sending emails every Friday, I'm basically saying to my team, I'm too important and busy. I think the four-day week's lovely for you guys, but yeah, not for me. And if you care about your career, you probably need to stop what I'm doing, what I'm doing and working on a Friday. I'm also sending the message, by the way, I don't trust you to get on with stuff and make decisions while I'm away. Or I'm sending the message that I'm not in control of my workload. None of these are good messages, right? So the manager's They've got to role model it as well. They have to. There's no way around it. And so often we hear about CEOs like Sheryl Sandberg and others within organizations talking about the day that they have starts usually at 4 a.m. with some sort of, they get up and they do a run or whatever, and then they head to work to the office for five, and they've got about five hours of work done before nine o'clock, even though there's only four hours between five and nine. 
And that sends out a really poor message. And I think Cheryl Sandberg even talked about this, that she came back to work a few weeks after having her baby just to prove that this is what she could do. And that message is such a poor message because in a world of where we're feeling or experiencing more burnout now than ever before, that's certainly not the answer. Working less and more efficiently and effectively. It's not just working less, you're working more efficiently and effectively in what you do in the four-day week. Because one of the things that you guys do as well is it's five five days pay. It's 100% pay. Oh, yeah. 100% pay. No loss in holidays. In fact, we're gaining holidays because when you go away for two weeks, you don't have to count the Friday as a holiday day, which didn't change pay or anything. Going back to that message that Cheryl Sandberg, did I say her name right? Yes. Here's my message. When I went on maternity leave, I took nine months off. I didn't check my emails. And that was it. The company's still running. You know, my job was still there when I got back. I I did feel like I did, I'll be honest, I experienced a couple of months of imposter syndrome where I kind of was trying to find my feet again, thinking, what is my role here? Am I really needed? But after a while of doing the work again, I realized, okay, yeah, I am adding value here. And I think that's quite a common challenge for a lot of mums who who come back after maternity. But yeah, I would, yeah, I, I, I. I really appreciate those nine months and yeah, that's... I I always think of that Sam Walton quote. Sam Walton was from the company Walmart, set up the company Walmart, the famous company. And in the 1960s, when he passed away, I think he was worth about 25 billion at the time, which is a phenomenal amount of money back then. Something phenomenal. And on his deathbed, his dying words were, I screwed it. I screwed it up. And imagine getting to that stage, having made that amount of money, having worked that hard and feeling at the last stages, that's, you fouled it up. Because that brings me back to what I've spoken before about Tal Ben Al-Shahar, who's the psychologist who talks about the different archetypes that we experience. And one of the archetypes that we get caught up in is what we call the rat race archetype. And so many of us are in that field. The rat race archetype is the person that is working long hours and commuting long distance to work, putting lots of effort into their job. And what they're experiencing is present detriment. So their life is pretty time poor. They're not having many chances to socialize outside. Social relationships are probably quite poor because their nose is to the grind and they're working really hard. So what they've got is we call, what we call present detriment. And that present detriment is life feels pretty lousy at the moment, but there's going to be a future benefit. And the future benefit is that I might get promoted or else when I get to retirement, that life is going to be pretty sweet. And me and my partner are going to end up going on cruises and seeing parts of the world we've never seen before. So we, we give up our lives now in the hope that it's going to be better in the future. And for so many of us, what we realize is that even when we get that promotion to become the CEO or becoming the boss or becoming whatever else we wanted to be in the organization, is that we have to work nearly harder in most of those roles because that's what's expected. So we don't feel that future benefit. It's still future detriment. So it never ends. And then we get to retirement and we really find out that maybe we've possibly got ill health because we worked so hard. So the burnout has really caught up with us. The stress has really taken uh, control of our body and we don't have the, uh, the health to be able to do all the things we wanted to do with our partner. So we just live in this world of detriment where the happiness archetype is to be able to experience present benefit. So doing things in life now, we enjoy at this moment in time, not feeling stressed or overwhelmed by the amount of work, feeling that we're on top of things, being able to concentrate, be able to give our best, get better sleep. That's what you talk about when you talk about the four-day working week. That's what you're experiencing, present benefit. You talk about the three-day weekends that you have, the holidays, 
and the less stress coming and feeling focused on a Monday, not anxious about your work at all. That's present benefit. And the future benefit is that when later in life, when you do get to retire, you haven't reached that stage where you've burnt yourself out so badly that you've got all these health complications that are going to cause either a shorter life or less fulfilling life. I want to stand up and cheer, Stephen. Thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, but it's true. We don't do enough of this. We're constantly caught up in this idea that let's sacrifice our lives in the hope that it's going to get better. And for most of us, it doesn't get better. In the long run, we'll all be dead, wasn't it? Keynes who said that, someone said that. But that's it. And if the guy who made 25 billion by creating the successful company gets to the end of his life and the last words he says is, I screwed it. That's just testament about where it goes to. And we really need to be mindful of that. Bronnie Ware, who was the palliative care nurse from Australia, you've probably heard of her, the type five regrets of the dying. Like, and when she says that every single male patient said to her, I wished I'd work less. Imagine saying that at the last stage, I wished I'd work less, spent more time with the ones I loved doing the things I enjoy. It's a terrible regret when we get to the last stages of life. Is that why we're here just to work and you're proving the opposite? One of the things that you do as well, you've been helping other organizations. There's a huge initiative going on in the UK at the moment, isn't around the four-day week. I think there's about 70, 72 companies. Yeah, it's a massive UK trial, yeah. So what way is that well, that working before, before you talk about what you do to help other organizations? Do you have any idea how that's fully working across the UK? I know it started and we're, we've been asked to be a mentor to a number of companies, organizations. And what that means is we have a chat at the start, in the middle and at the end. So we're having the, those chats at the start at the moment as they go through their process and try and figure out how they implement it and design it and that kind of thing. And we've also, because there are so many companies out there thinking about it, we've also added a little service to our website, which is free. It's Ask Me Anything. And you can book in 15 minutes with one of the directors at Think Productive for just a, a ask me anything just ask us anything on the four-day week and, and we'll try and help you out anything except on a friday don't ask us anything on friday. oh yeah we won't <laughs> be there on the friday. <laughs> but i love that idea you know and and it's, it's like here we're laughing about the whole idea of having fridays off but it's a reality for you which is fantastic and so many people when i think about it even with the whole concept of the idea of remote working three years ago if somebody had said listen what's the chance of working from home most people would have said well that's a pie in the sky idea And for many, the idea of the four-day week sounds like a pie-in-the-sky idea, but it's not. It's a reality for you, and it's an increasing reality for many organizations. And I think it doesn't feel so pie-in-the-sky after what we've been through with COVID and uh, just the working from home thing was just transformational for so many people and businesses. And it just has got people reflecting on their priorities, on their relationship with work, and just reevaluating all of that stuff and what's important to them. That's why we've got the great resignation. And I think companies that organizations are not offering flexible working and are forcing their knowledge workers back into the office are really going to struggle to recruit. I think we're seeing that already. Yeah, because I think there's a point, isn't there? I know Dan Price from Gravity Payments. I don't know if you've heard the story of Dan Price from Gravity Payments in the US. They're a company that does for small companies. They're they're within shops and that kind of stuff where they take credit card payments through their machines. So Gravity would have been an organization that helped at that. But Dan, who was the CEO of the organization and set it all up, they were quite profitable. He was on a million euros a year, a million dollars a year as a salary. And he read some research around the fact that after about $70,000 a year, 
and there is no upswing in happiness um, from any salary after that point. So earning 170,000 a year or 250,000 a year, 1 million a year, isn't going to increase your happiness levels. But if you get to the point of where it's $70,000 a year, everybody feels an incremental burst in happiness just from reaching that point. So what he did was he took a pay cut to 70,000 and brought everybody up to 70,000, which is quite incredible when he did that. Yeah. And he just said this, that he's an organization that is really based on the whole idea of trust. I think he got into a spat with a couple of people, maybe even with Elon Musk about the whole idea of working remotely over the course of the, the last two years. And he said, he's never going to ask his staff to come back into the office. It's there. Everything is working absolutely fine from where they are because he trusts them. Yeah. Don't get me started on Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I wrote an article to him. <laughs> Encouraging him to take a break a few years back, but I don't think he listened. <laughs> I'm still waiting, Elon. When you think about what Elon is doing, is he's pretty much living in, he's not living, but the whole idea of the nine to five, and the nine to five isn't even something that Elon is interested in. It's more like a 16 hour day that he countenances, you know, but that's pretty much a 19th century concept in a 21st century world. Yeah. So we've moved on to, to, to a different world. I love the way the world is evolving. And I love the fact that maybe the reset that we experienced through the last two years, even though you tackled the four-day working week before anybody entered this sphere, uh, I think this is a great chance for companies to reset and to rethink. And I'd really encourage companies or directors or the board or whatever it might be to sit down and start to rethink about what they want from the world of work in the future. I know Andrew Barnes from Perpetual Guardian, who has written the book on the four-day week. He's doing that as well. Uh, the four-day global, I think it's four-day week global um, organization, I think are doing a lot of really good work in this sphere. I know that in Iceland, they did four years of it with the civil service. 2,500 people went on a four-day week for four years. And all the benefits that we talk about when we you go down the world of trials, like less burnout, more productivity, greater focus, greater creativity. And the one thing that I find always in this day and age as a benefit more than ever is the fact that there's, you know, 20% less cars on the road traveling back and forth to work. Yeah, there's all those other benefits as well, aren't there, to society. You know, the environmental impact of one less commute a week for everyone. Yeah, for equality, uh, gender equality, for example, you have everyone on four days a week rather than not at the time you get women work, working part-time to try and support with the childcare and that kind of thing. Yeah, so it, it helps in lots of different ways. And even in, when it gets down to the energy costs, within your organisation, the lights off are pretty much all off on a Friday. There's less energy being used up. The fuel bill is different. Yeah, true. So all of those types of things, yeah. So if I was to ask you, what would the three pieces of advice you would give any company thinking of becoming a four-day week organization? I would say consult your people when you're designing it. So you're talking about from the very start, everybody's involved. Yeah. And I think if there's a hybrid model, there's stuff to think about there around design and looking out for uh, guilt, taking the Friday off if other people aren't. Um, you know, resentment if people are taking Friday off and or other days. So that get everyone involved in the design. I'd say support everyone through the transition, equipping them with the mindset and the strategy to transition to a, a fewer days, but with a, the same workload. Like, how is that going to happen? Well, you need to give people the, the tools and the confidence to do that. I think that's really important. And I think you've got to get the culture right. I think that was already there for us in terms of the trust and flexibility, autonomy, that kind of thing. I think it's 
it's really important to have that in place. And that, that includes all the role modeling by the leaders, because that builds the trust for everyone to feel like it's okay to do. And the, and the great thing is it seems to be able to work with big and small organizations. So I know that Andrew Barnes's company, Perpetual Guardian in Auckland, because he spoke at our Happy Workplace conference about this. They had 250 staff, but he's also consulting with Unilever uh, New Zealand, which would have uh, possibly thousands of people working for their organization. So if they can do it on that same level, then it's, it's, it's for anybody because so many people think we can't do it because we provide this particular service. We can't do it because we need somebody here. Uh, a reception uh, five days a week or we're a six day a week organization and I know one of the things that Andrew spoke about is that uh, some people have Tuesdays off in their organization some people have Wednesdays and some people have Thursdays and it's just about consulting with everybody to get it right so if people everybody's involved everybody will come together and come up with the right solution exactly we handled the move to weekends and shift work and you know we can handle this I always love that one of the my favorite books, and I always keep quoting it, is Maverick by Ricardo Semler. I don't know if you've ever read it, Elena. No, I think I've heard you talk about it. Yeah, it is a really good book because his organization, Semco, which are a Brazilian-based company, when he took over the organization from his father, um, he began to look at ways that the organization, the factories, could work differently. And factories are notoriously difficult to try and organize around working democratically or working autonomously because there's usually production schedules, there's supply levels and all this kind of just in times and all this kind of stuff that play into it. But one of the things that he was able to do is he was able to get his teams to be able to decide, like if it was that they needed to make 300 widgets a day, we're just going to use a figure like that, just make 300 fig- widgets a day. And if that's made by quarter past three, but you were usually here to four o'clock, that's absolutely fine by us if you can organize a way to be able to do that. If you start to produce 350 widgets a day, here's the problem. The guys that work in sales have to sell more widgets. The guys that work in supplies have to find more widgets. Accountancy have to, you know, work a way around putting this into the accounts and everybody gets complicated and overworked and maybe we need more warehouse space to be able to hold all the widgets. So he said, when we sit down and we organize exactly what we want and what we want to get from it, just let's work to that and let the teams work autonomously to come up with the ideas and the answers themselves. Once we've got the guidelines, let's do it. I think you guys do that really well. Yeah, I think there are, of course, challenges to service sectors, frontline, you know, health, schools, retail. I think our expertise is in knowledge work, people that have discretion over how they spend their days and working with information. However, I think there is an opportunity in those other sectors as well. And there are pubs and hairdressers already doing it. And I think there's a real opportunity in terms of staff retention, churn, burnout, all of those things, you know, how much time should we be dedicating to work? I just think we should be working less all around. I completely agree with you. And I was just thinking about that today myself as well. I went to buy a gift for somebody last night and I thought about it was a birthday and I, I said, I better buy something from the off license. It's it, it was just something that I thought that they might like. And I thought the off license was open till 10 o'clock in the town where I live. And I went down and it's not, it's closed since the pandemic. It closes at eight o'clock. And I'm thinking it's not a bad thing. It's not open till 10 o'clock. I'm sure like the amount of staff that turned up between eight and 10 didn't make a big difference. And we can all acclimatize ourselves to the different hours that the organization works. I always thought about that. Have you ever worked in retail, working in a retail store half the time? You're hoping a customer is going to come in because you're sitting there trying to look busy and you can't look busy. You're waiting to refold something that somebody's unfolded and put it back on. You go, yeah. So, so a lot of our working day is filled with that. So just let's get rid of all that unnecessary stuff. 
Elena, I want to say thank you so much for being a part of our Well at Work podcast. I love the idea of the four-day work week. I love the fact that you guys were pioneers in it. When nobody was talking about the four-day week, you guys were doing it. And I love the fact that you're advising other companies across the UK to be able to do this. If people want to get in contact with Think Productive, how do they go about that? Just head to our website, thinkproductive.com, and then choose your country. We've got loads of great resources on there, free resources. We've got a YouTube channel with loads of free webinars. We have free webinars every month as well, just to help people work smarter, not harder. Fill your boots. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Thanks so much, Elena. Thanks for being a part of today. Thank you.